The following episode contains material that may be harmful or traumatizing to some audiences. Listener discretion is advised. In 2013, the discovery of Cleveland's House of Horrors dominated the headlines. Three women held captive in a home, neighbors completely unaware of the terror that was happening behind closed doors of the house on Seymour Avenue. Gina de Jesus was the youngest of the three, abducted from a busy street while walking home from school nine years before. They are the three brave women who survived years of captivity in a house of horrors. Now they are rebuilding their From Cast Media, this is Media Circus, an inside look at private tragedy in the public eye. I take high-profile crimes you might think you know and connect you with the real people behind the media coverage to share their stories, in their own words, on their own terms. I'm Kim Goldman. In many ways, Gina de Jesus was just like any other teenager growing up on the west side of Cleveland. The seventh grader came from a large Puerto Rican family with whom she loved to spend time. I was an outgoing kid. I liked to always ride my bike and skate and hang out with all my cousins. I met Gina and her cousin Sylvia in June of last year. I was struck at how close they are and how Sylvia supports her cousin when speaking at public events and doing interviews. It's important to me that Gina feels empowered to not only share her story, but set her own boundaries, something I know Sylvia feels passionately about, too. I invited them both here today. Tell me a little bit about your childhood. How did that look? Me and my best friend all the time, we would go skating every Friday and Saturday. That was like our main thing. The whole week, we'll go just go to school, and then like the weekend would come, and then we'd be so excited to go skating. Gina would spend her days roller skating, drawing and playing with kids around the neighborhood and mimicking her older cousin, Sylvia. I would come around and I would be in heels. Gina would flip-flop around in my heels. Like any other kid, Gina sometimes got into trouble. You know, typical teen stuff. We would wake up early in the morning and we would ride our mopeds and it'd be so loud that we would wake up neighbors. Like getting kicked out of the local corner store. And we would run down the aisles and like go to the back room where we wasn't supposed to. And then he told us that we were not allowed to go in the store no more unless we had a parent, and we still didn't listen. She's a normal kid, like any other kid. She'd push the envelope, but she was a good kid. She was very well-behaved. April 2nd, 2004. Gina was walking home from Wilbur Wright Middle School alongside her friend Arlene Castro. It was a Friday, so she wanted to strap on some wheels. I was like, let's go skating. I forgot that I was grounded, and I was trying to make all these plans. And then I was like, oh, can't, I'm grounded. So do you want to just come over? And then she said, well, I have to call my mom first. So I gave her 50 cents to use the payphone. Loaning Arlene 50 cents would change her life forever. When Arlene's mom said she couldn't come over, Gina no longer had enough money for the bus ride home. She began to walk home alone. We said our goodbyes. She went one way, I went the other way. And that's when Ariel stopped next to me and asked me if I seen his daughter. And I said, yes, she went that way. And then he asked me if I could help him look for her. So that's when I got in the car. It was Arlene's dad. She knew him well enough. And she was just with his daughter. So why wouldn't she help? He'd even gone to school with Gina's parents when they were young. 
I thought when he asked me, he really wanted to look for his daughter. So that's the only reason why I got in the car to, to help him find her. He tricked me. Nothing about that moment felt unusual, until it did. They didn't go looking for Arlene. Instead, he drove east to the house where he lived alone in Tremont, a few miles away. He pulled in the driveway and he asked me if I can help him move a speaker into the car. I said, yeah, I'll help you, and went inside and then he locked the door. I didn't think that I was being kidnapped, not just quite yet, but I was feeling a little nervous. He he was doing some weird stuff. Like he was putting on like eyeliner underneath his eyes and like filling in his beard. And then he tried touching me and all I could think of is you could get into real big, big trouble. And I said that to him. And then he told me that I can't go out the same door that I came in. And I said, what? What is this? I was just trying to figure out a way to get out of there. Gina was told she had to leave the house through the basement. She followed directions. To find out it was the basement that he was going to chain me up to the pole. I started yelling, and he told me to be quiet. And he put the pillow over my face. I kept screaming. That didn't help me. Then I, I tried to trick him. I made it to like the first step to go up the stairs and he pulled me and I felt and then I was laying on my stomach and then he sat on my back and I was really mad so I started kicking him and I just kept kicking him and I guess I bruised all his upper like his shoulders and underneath his chin and stuff. Wow. And what really made me mad is that he told me two days later that if I would have kept doing it. I probably would have killed him. And I said, now you tell me. And I just wish I would have kept kicking him. So I wouldn't have to stay there for nine years. While Gina fought, her parents worried. Why hadn't she made it home from school yet? Because Gina's a creature of habit. Her parents knew pretty quickly something was not right. They called the police and reported Gina missing right away. But law enforcement had their own theory. The detectives, I think, came pretty quickly and again said, well, she's a runaway. She'll come back. And her mom, she just kept saying, no, something's happened. Something's really happened. And it took a couple of days for them to really understand. Gina didn't run away. So it was it was really tough. And then, you know, you add to it the poor Puerto Rican in the hood. It wasn't helpful. Gina never returned home police launched a massive investigation. The FBI got involved almost immediately, interviewing 200 people in the first week alone. Gina's family scoured the neighborhood, posting flyers, searching abandoned buildings, flipping over dumpsters, and knocking on doors. They named her cousin Sylvia the family spokesperson. She turned to the media and asked for the public's help. Another emotional day as a family hopes for the safe return of their 14-year-old daughter. Searching for Gina... Five the FBI has several videotapes from businesses along the Rain Avenue. Agents are... 5 o'clock this morning, they started going out on a warrant sweep looking for wanted felons. And verifying... The there are 129 registered sexual offenders in the same zip code where Gina De Jesus lives. 
aunts, uncles, cousins, and friends of Gina's also posted and handed out flyers, making sure it again. If you have any information about where she is now, or maybe you saw her within the last week or so, please give the Cleveland Police a call. You see the number there on your screen, area code 216-621-12. They knew there was foul play, but Gina disappeared. I mean, she disappeared. She was walking home, and then she was nowhere. Police canines tracked Gina's scent from the payphone at the corner, right down the street, halfway up the block, to this snow street sign right here. And this is where the trail went cold. Gina was seen on Friday. Her friend, Arlene Castro, was with her before they parted ways. The last thing she said to me was, you owe me 50 cents. That's Gina's friend, Arlene Castro, who would search for Gina and plead for her safe return in the media, having no idea that Gina was actually chained up in a basement a few short miles away held captive by Arlene's own father. Around the same time, Gina began to piece together what had happened to her, getting her information from an unlikely source, the television. To drown out Gina's screams, the TV blared in the home at all hours, so Gina watched a lot of news. I would watch the, the news and see my family on TV looking for me. It would be my story and my parents, and then it would be Amanda's. Amanda Berry was a 17-year-old girl who had gone missing just blocks from where Gina was kidnapped almost exactly one year before. Two attractive teenage girls. They disappear in similar circumstances along the same busy avenue. What does it mean? And then I started to, like, put things together, like, did you kidnap her too? And he would tell me no. And then I would only think that I was the only one there until like later on, probably like a month and a half after he put me upstairs in a room. And I was always wondering why he would come up the stairs and go into the other two rooms and to find out there was two people in there. Amanda had disappeared after working her shift at Burger King on April 21st, 2003. She told her sister she was getting a ride home and was never heard from again. She was 16. When 14-year-old Gina went missing from the same location a year later, police suspected the cases were connected. Both girls had just vanished. And they weren't alone. Michelle Knight was the first woman to be abducted a year and a half earlier, also from the same neighborhood, but she never got the same media attention. Her family reported her missing immediately, but she was an adult, 21 years old when she disappeared in 2002. In fact, police eventually removed her name from the list of active missing persons. But she was there all along, in the house with Gina and Amanda, each of them confined to separate rooms. I would go upstairs with them to take, like, snacks to them. I would wave to them and say hi to them, and that would be it. I really didn't communicate until, like, probably a year later. It was then, a year later, things began to change. He told me I could have a friend in my room. So then that's when Michelle came in my room and we were friends in there. I guess it kind of got a little bit better because then we could talk about like our family and stuff and we would laugh and we didn't want to be like sad all the time. And that's when the two had a realization. We kind of figured out that he kind of used his kids because we, like, all knew his kid. We at least know one of their kids. Amanda lived a few houses down from Ariel's four daughters and their mother. Michelle was friends with his daughter, Emily. Gina was friends with Arlene. 
All three victims got into a car with the man they knew from the neighborhood. They were easy targets. One of the things that we know about perpetrators are that they look for opportunities and that they will use manipulation in order to have greater access in order to gain opportunity. And I think that that's part of what we're seeing here. Stacey Kaiser is a licensed therapist, relationship expert, and author of When Faith Meets Therapy. One of the things that they actually tell young children is if you get lost, go find a parent. Because the belief is that if this is a parent, then they're probably going to be a safe person. But actually, that isn't always true. And so part of what has to happen is we now have to have these concerns and fears that nobody is trustworthy unless we truly know them. And then they still might not even be trustworthy. The women were chained to each other, to poles, to their beds, controlled by a manipulator, a monster who made his victims feel like they might soon be freed. When I had, like, the rope on my my arms, he said, after my scars will heal, then he will let me go. But he just never, never let me go home. Were you believing that today was going to be the day that he was going to let you go? After a while, I kind of just was like, "You're, you're lying to me. You're just lying. But then I had to still, like, be in survivor mode and just hope that maybe he would even though I'm trying to, like, figure out how to get out or escape. Gina dreamed of escaping, but never found her chance. Every little thing would always make me jump. I was scared every day, because I didn't know what he was going to do. But he was always next to me, so it was somewhat kind of hard to even try to escape. I feel like that's why sometimes when people, people today, like, I, I would have did this or I would have did that differently to try to get out, that's a little annoying. Right because people don't know what it's like. They slept on a bare mattress infested with bedbugs. No access to a bathroom, just a plastic toilet. And attached to a rusted chain used to bind them to the bed and each other. Gina isn't comfortable discussing the specifics of what happened to her in the house on Seymour Avenue. And out of respect for her story, I won't get into details. What I will tell you is that Amanda Berry gave birth to a daughter while imprisoned and that she and Michelle Knight, the oldest of the three, are much more vocal about what happened throughout that decade. But today, this is Gina's story, and it needs to be on her terms. Gina knew from watching TV that her family and the entire community was looking for her. She hoped the noise from the house would get the neighbors' attention. I thought the TV being loud and the radio being loud in the hallway and then the radio downstairs, I thought all of that was strange and and no one caught on to it, not even the neighbors. But it was part of the monster's master plan to silence the noise of the house, specifically their screams. I tried hitting the window, screaming at the window. I could see people in the front hanging out, partying and stuff like that, but I guess they didn't hear me. So like, I guess after a while, it was pointless of me screaming. They couldn't hear us scream at all. Several neighbors would later claim they reported screams and banging coming from behind the house's boarded up windows. Cleveland police has repeatedly stated they have no record of the calls. While the TV was intended to drown out what was going on behind closed doors, it also served another purpose. Gina was able to watch extensive coverage of her own kidnapping and efforts to find her. She saw her parents just miles away, holding vigils and searching for her. It was the lifeline to her family. 
I remember seeing my dad talk and I was just at this point I kept seeing my dad repeat himself and then I was like, Oh dad <laughs> and then then I cried and then I said, I love you too. But that was like the closest thing that I got to see them. So I, I liked watching them every chance I got. Sometimes I was sad, but after watching that, they gave me a little bit more hope that if they're going to continue fighting, so was I. Sometimes her captor would watch the news with them. I think he enjoyed it all the time because he got to see my parents cry. He got to see me cry. And I guess, can I say that? You can say whatever you want. He got off on that. I think he admired his work because he got away with it. Gina's abduction reached far beyond local news. America's Most Wanted shared her story one week after she disappeared. And tonight we break news that the search for a missing local teenage girl is about to go nationwide. Please pay close attention to this missing child alert. Tomorrow night at 9 p.m., the entire nation will get a chance to join the hunt for Gina DeJesus. The 14-year-old's disappearance will be featured on Fox's America's Most Wanted with host John Walsh. Other shows followed suit. Jeffrey Wan sat down with the DeJesus family to give his psychic insight into the alleged abduction of their daughter, Gina. But as it often happens, with no leads over the weeks, months, and then years that followed, the coverage also began to dissipate eventually only mentioning Gina on and around April 2nd, the day she went missing. The coverage initially, I want to say for the first couple of weeks, maybe almost a month, you know, was pretty robust. And then after that, it was just another cycle in the news. And less and less the story would get covered. Somebody else was hurt. Somebody else went missing. Wasn't salacious anymore and people forget they have short memories and she was the wrong demographic. According to Black and Missing Foundation, thousands of people are reported missing every year in the U.S. And while not every case will get widespread media attention, the coverage of white and minority victims is far from proportionate. Along with that disparity, news cycles seem to get shorter and shorter. I can remember once being scheduled, this is the truth, It was for NBC. It was Katie Couric when she was on NBC. And I was supposed to do an interview and I was prepared. And we got bumped that morning. They decided I'll never forget it and I'll never forgive them, ever forgive them. The interview got bumped because they decided to do Wisconsin Cheesehead coverage. I will never forgive them, ever, because it could have been that one time that we were talking about Gina, maybe somebody saw or heard something. When Gina was found and NBC and Katie Couric wanted, and I said, basically don't come near me. Like they're trash bags to me. I mean, a missing girl got bumped for Wisconsin cheesehead coverage. While the media waned, the investigation continued. Over the years, the police pursued several leads executing search warrants, arresting sex offenders, interviewing multiple people of interest. In September of 2006, police received a tip that Gina was buried in a Cleveland garage. I remember getting up. He hurries up and comes upstairs and and opens our doors and says, watch the TV, you're on the news. They think that you're buried at this house on, I think, was it 53rd? With all three girls still missing, police get a hot tip on Gina DeJesus in September 2006. They dig up a Cleveland garage floor. 
another dead end. I was like, I'm right here. I'm literally right down the street and you guys are digging there. It just made me upset that they put my family through that. But through the anguish and heartbreak, the uncertainty and the false leads, Gina's mom, Nancy, somehow never lost hope. Gina knows, I've said it, there were times when I thought this isn't gonna end well, but Nancy never, ever gave up. I feel it, a mom feels it. My daughter's alive, she's somewhere. She said, I can feel my daughter. And you just have to believe it because she never wavered, never. I don't remember in those nine years, Nancy wavering once, not once, not once. Coming out. My daughter is out there somewhere. Somebody knows something. I need them to step up to the plate and start speaking. Tell me where my baby's at so I can bring her home. Gina's mom held an annual vigil for Gina every April 2nd, the day she disappeared. The last was in April 2013, just weeks before Gina was found. Years ago, tonight family and friends of Gina DeJesus will gather at West 105th and Lorraine as they have every April 2nd since the Cleveland teen disappeared on this date in 2004. Somewhere. And the hope is that events like this one here this evening, someone will see Gina's face and hopefully jog someone's memory or force someone who has long been quiet to step up with new information. Now this anniversary. That day, her parents never giving up hope that she will come home one And day. all the while they were searching and holding vigils, the monster who kidnapped her was right there in plain sight. He was riding his motorcycle, and I guess he stopped by, and my mom gave him a flyer. And then when he got to the house, he told me about seeing my mom and my dad, and he said that he got a flyer from my mom. I don't know if he thought that was going to hurt me or anything, but I asked him, can I have the flyer? And he said, yes, I could have it. I wanted it because it was the last thing my mom touched. And I know if we got found that I was going to show her. May 6, 2013. Nine years after that fateful day walking home from school, something so totally unexpected happened. Gina and Michelle were in their room, Amanda in the other room with her then six-year-old daughter born in captivity. Their captor left the house. And for the first time in almost a decade, he'd forgotten to lock the door to her room. Amanda acted quickly, creeping outside her room to make sure the monster wasn't tricking her, trying to trap her. The hallway was empty. She called out to the others and bolted down the stairs to the front door. It was locked. She was running out of time. She banged on the door, pushing it with everything she had. She screamed for help, hoping somebody, anybody, would hear her. Somehow, Amanda was able to break through the door and escape to safety. Help me, I'm Amanda Berry. You need police, fire, or ambulance? I need police. Okay, and what's going on there? I've been kidnapped, and I've been missing for 10 years, and I'm, I'm here, I'm free now. At the same time, a neighbor was making his own 911 call. Cleveland 911, police, ambulance, or fire? Yeah, hey, bro, I'm at 2207 Seymour, West 25th. Hey, check this out. I just came from McDonald's, right? So I'm on my porch eating my little food, right? This broad is trying to break out the fucking house next door to me. So there's a bunch of people on the street right now and shit. So we like, well, what's wrong with you? What's the problem? She like, this motherfucker been kidnapped me and my daughter, and we've been in this bitch. She said her name is Linda Berry or some shit. I don't know who the fuck that is. I just moved over here, bro. Sir, 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 you know sir, I mean? sir, you have to calm down and slow down. Is she still in the street, or where did she go? Yeah, I'm looking at her. She right now. She calling y'all. She on another phone. The neighbor's name is Charles Ramsey. 
Little did he know, the quick call to 911 and subsequent media interviews would make him internet famous. Even now, Ramsey shares updates with his 37,000 Facebook fans. I knew something was wrong when a little pretty white girl ran into a black man's arms. Something is wrong here. Dead giveaway. While Amanda had escaped to freedom, Gina and Michelle were still upstairs, completely in the dark as to what was going on. I remember sitting in the room and hearing, like, booming noises. So I'm thinking maybe he's coming upstairs to, like, yell at us or hit us for her leaving the room or something like that. I was going to block my door with my mattress and box spring so he couldn't get in. But then they said cops, and then Michelle swung open the door, and she ran out into their arms, and then... I just remember poking my head out. Is this even real? Like, what kind of joke is this? Even when they took me to the hospital in the ambulance, I was like, is this even real? Like, I was just in shock. I just couldn't believe it. And when they took us in the ambulance, they kept talking to us. Like, you don't know how long we've been looking for you. And I didn't want to be mean or anything, but I wanted to say, yeah, because I watched you guys on TV <laughs> a lot. But I just kept lying. I'm sitting, I think I said, he said that like four times. The women were taken to Metro Health Medical Center, where Gina, now 23 years old, was reunited with her family for the first time in almost a decade. They recognized me. I still look the same. I was just like 90 pounds. And short hair. And short hair. Did they look different to you? Not my dad and my mom, because I kept seeing them on my anniversary every time, so I kind of knew what they looked like. And then my dad didn't even want to come in the room because he didn't know how I was going to feel because he's a male and didn't want me to get scared or anything. I had to go out there and get my dad and then (laughs) hug him because I kept asking for him. Then I would go to the bathroom with my nurse. And I'll be like, is this real? And I have her pinch me a few times. And I'm like, ow. It's just like, did you feel that? I said, yeah. She's like, well, then it's real. As for Gina's cousin, Sylvia was in a meeting when news broke about Gina. Her phone was blowing up. Family was calling and texting, pick up your phone. And I ignored it because I was in a business meeting. And finally, one of my male cousins said, could you pick up your phone? So I picked it up and he said they found Gina and I hung up the phone because I thought, well, that's not even really funny at all, is it? And he sent me a text and said, I'm not joking. I don't know where you are, but you need to pick up the phone again or put on the TV. Sylvia was still the family spokesperson and the media wanted their story and they weren't going to stop until they got it. Sylvia got a call from a family member. Her Aunt Sandra called and said, I don't know where you are and what you're doing, but you have 24 hours or I'm going to murder the media. (laughs) So I literally uh, had 24 hours to get home. When Gina was released from the hospital, she was first taken to a hotel before going home. At the same time, Amanda Berry would be discharged and sent home, two days after they were found. I like I watched Amanda arrive home first and seeing like the crowd I said oh boy like everybody kept asking me are you sure you want to come home yet and then I was like yeah I just want to be around everyone. We had to go in and switch vehicles in case I guess they said people might be following us so we switched vehicles and then we got in the car and they drove like down the rain all the way till they arrived to my house and it was a big crowd. 
The street was packed. Neighbors, well-wishers, and anyone hoping to catch a glimpse of Gina. Balloons lined the front of Gina's childhood home, the home she hadn't seen in years. Neighbors waited behind barricades for her to emerge. Also now watching this motorcade here approaching, you can see multiple cars. You see the crowds here on this in this corner? Police? That's a sign that this could be her as we see the police escort. And as we watch, the doors open. So all I remember is sitting in that car. The FBI got out and then my dad got out. When my dad gets out, it was like real quiet. Police? Family, media, look at that. Arms pumping in the air. Just got getting out of the car, pumping his fist. There's people. Gina's dad, is that the voice and of the, the crowd started to get real, real loud. And it took me a minute to even get out the car because it was like happy tears. Oh my God. actually are welcoming home too. So I hurried up, wiped my eyes, and threw my hood on. And when I got out the car, I just threw my thumbs up to let, let everybody know that I was okay. And then my sister came and she dragged me inside. That was Gina De Jesus in the yellow hoodie. I don't know about you, I just got goosebumps. While they protected Gina from the media in those early days, her mother, father, and Aunt Sandra stood outside their home and addressed the community. I knew my daughter was out there alive. Yes, she was. Yes, she was. I knew she needed me, and I never gave up. My first reaction as I saw my daughter, the only thing I did was grab her and hug her. I didn't want to let go. Until this moment, I still feel as it is a dream. I still pinch myself. I know she's there, and I know she's going to be there. But it's like a dream. Soon after, Sylvia arrived. I walked in the house in my heels and skirt, my tight little pencil skirt. I was at a business meeting. That's how I came. My hair was really short, too. And blonde. And blonde. Do you remember what you said (laughs) to me? I cut my hair just like yours. Oh. She had watched me on TV, and so she cut her hair off to be just like mine. Oh my gosh. It undid me. As Gina began to assimilate at home, the media was just getting started. The rescue of the women was all over national headlines, dubbed Cleveland's House of Horrors. If they wrote this into a cop show plot, you would roll your eyes and scoff. Three missing women, gone since they were girls, found alive together a decade late in Cleveland. An almost unbelievable saga of a decade of depravity. For joining us, we just got our hands on the 911 call from one of the women. It's when Cleveland police pried open the front door of Ariel Castro's home. This is now reporting that that little girl that ran out of the house with Barry is her daughter. This is raising a lot of questions as to what those women went through while they were trapped there. In fact, media from all over the world crammed into that conference room trying to get the answers, but most of the answers that we're hoping to hear will have to come from Amanda Berry, Gina DeJesus, and Michelle Knight. I thought when I came home that everything was going to go back to normal, and there was like a lot of people outside, and I was just like, are they ever going to go home? They had to put tarps up. There was other news people 
getting on rooftops, trying to get a picture and stuff like that. And I couldn't even go outside. The only time I went outside is when that they didn't even know it was me. I always used to wear these big, big sunglasses over my face and put like wigs on or something. One time we had to use my cousin as a, a decoy because we look so much alike. And it was just for me to get my nails done because the media was so outside, like so annoying. And then they even threw a sandwich at my sister for what? her not giving them information. The three women who say they're not doing any interviews and they have pleaded and asked for privacy at this time so they can continue to heal and reconnect with their families. How likely is it that the media are going to give them that privacy? Yeah, that's not going to happen. After almost 10 years forced into captivity, here was Gina once again stripped of her freedom and her voice. In a statement, De Jesus says, I just want time now to be with my family. Psychotherapist Stacy Kaiser. That's what it feels like for a trauma victim. Like they literally don't have their voice anymore. And they do have their voice. But with counseling and supportive encouragement from loved ones around them that are safe people, they can learn to start to speak up and, and ask for things. And sometimes it starts for basic stuff, like being able to ask someone to turn on the air conditioning if you're hot, or being able to ask someone to help you if you need something small. Two months after Gina returned home, she and the other two women addressed the public, releasing a brief YouTube video arranged by their lawyers. Gina's message was short and sweet. I would say thank you for the support. You know by now, I don't like to focus too much on the perpetrator, but focus on the victim's story. But you should know, Gina's captor pleaded guilty to 937 criminal counts, including kidnapping and rape, avoiding the death penalty. He was sentenced to life in prison, plus a thousand years. He got a hundred and plus years. I said, is that even possible? <laughs> and then, about a month later, Gina was up late watching TV with her family when there was a news alert. Same morning, we begin with that breaking news from Ohio, a truly stunning development. Ariel Castro found dead of an apparent suicide. The man who pleaded guilty earlier this year, running a house of horrors in Cleveland, was to spend the rest of his life in prison. No one knew his life would end so soon made me cry a little bit. I just felt like he was a coward and took the easy way out. My thoughts was, how can you take three people, kidnap them, take them away from their family, and you can't even last five months before you take yourself out? I feel like prison's not that bad. Prison, you get fed, you get showers, you get meals, you get phone calls, and you get visitation rights. I got none of that. It's been nine years since Gina escaped that horrible house on Seymour Avenue. The media no longer camps outside her door or follows her every move. In fact, Gina and Sylvia have discovered how to use the media to spread their message. We use them and they use us. You know, we said the only way we're going to do it is if you also talk about the organization, because that's, we, we're looking forward now. We understand people want to know the behind-the-scenes crap, but we also want to really talk about our organization, and this is a big platform to get it out there. Sylvia and Gina have teamed up to use Gina's story to support families of missing people. When I first came home, I would always ask Sylvia, what are they doing for families? 
because I would always see my parents on TV and what they went through. And I didn't have a voice then. I wasn't ready to even talk or anything. So we just waited to the right time. In 2018, Gina was invited to be an ambassador and advocate for Northeast Ohio Amber Alert. A year later, inspired by that work, she and Sylvia co-founded the Cleveland Family Center for Missing Children and Adults. Their mission, to work with families who are going through experiences similar to Gina and Sylvia's. They can meet real people who've gone through what they're going through and talk about how they can take care of themselves and, you know, self-care and how they can navigate media. We're the intermediaries between law enforcement and family. The families that we help, as soon as they see her, they're like, we have hope, we have hope. And Gina tells them that, you know, like she'll say, you have to do an interview, even if you don't want to. She is very direct with families. She doesn't mince words. I tell families that they have to do their interviews because they don't know if their missing loved one has a TV like I did. And I know when I see my parents on TV, it gave me hope that if they're going to fight, I'm going to fight. Many victims and families have a love-hate relationship with the media. I know sometimes I do, and it's no different for Gina. What is the relationship like between the three of them, uh, among the three of them? What is that? That like? is the question. That is, and What's something you hate to be asked? I don't like when they ask me, why don't we talk to each other? And they th- seem to think that because we've been through a situation that we're going to just be best of friends. We got our own our own lives, and we are very, very busy. Yeah, actually, that is one of the questions that I hate the most also is my relationship with Nicole's family. Why aren't you friends, and why aren't you doing all these things together? And I know the media, at least in our case, they want to add rumor to that. If I don't like to talk about it, there's an assumption. I mean, you know, people are assholes. If they had never had this tragedy, they wouldn't have been friends because they're not even the same age. Let's just start there. Now it's like, oh, you know, Amanda and Gina are horrible to Michelle. The bullshit that happens on a regular. I mean, at this point now, all you can do is laugh because it's like, really? It is so bizarre to me. Getting to know Gina even just a little bit, it's no surprise she's empowering and supporting other families the way she is. What is surprising is where she's doing it. Her office is in a building on the same street, Seymour Avenue, where she was held captive for nine years. The house, gone, demolished shortly after the women were rescued. It's just a street to me. I think about this is happening in every neighborhood. You're going to hate every neighborhood that this happens at. So if I could be there, anybody else could be there. I want to bring hope and positive to the neighborhood and just help families not go through what my family is going through. Across the street from the building, a mural of Gina, reminding her and the community of her strength and resilience, and what is possible when surrounded by love, support, and healing. Thank you, Gina and Sylvia, for sharing your story and making a lasting impact that will touch the lives of families for many years to come. To support Gina's work, visit clevelandmissing.org. To continue the conversation, please follow me on social media at Kim E. Goldman. Media Circus is a cast original podcast, executive produced and hosted by me, Kim Goldman, produced by Jackie McDougall, edited by Jordan Cantor, 
mixed and mastered by Anton Doty. Harper Carlton is our associate producer. Special thanks to Trent Maverick and Logan Castrodale for your contributions. Subscribe to Media Circus wherever you listen to podcasts, and please share with a friend.